Isaiah. It's 66 chapters, and it's a very unique book, as all of them are. Um, it, um, we'll take a, a tour through this book, and we'll look at a quick overview of the book, and then we'll look at some, some places in Isaiah that it's worth our time um, stopping and making some, some stops along the way on our, on our cruise on our Route 66. And so tonight, as we look at Isaiah, um, as we said in each study, there's a key word, and the key word for the book of Isaiah is salvation. It's found a number of times in there. And as we'll see, uh, one of the things we'll look at and focus in on tonight is the gospel in Isaiah. Uh, of course, the, you know, Isaiah was the Old Testament. It was way before Jesus was even born, but still there are verses about the gospel in Isaiah. There's 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah, and it's the first of the prophets and um, it's as far as the order of the books in, in our Bible. And it's, um, it's what we call one of the major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel are what we call major prophets. Now, we get to Jeremiah, Lord willing, next week. Jeremiah has another little book called Lamentations of Jeremiah that's five chapters. It's almost like an appendix, and we'll put those two books. That'll be, that will be where we'll combine a study on, on uh, two books because they're both written by him. But this is the first of the major prophets, as we call them, and the first of the prophets throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Isaiah going through Malachi, these books are all prophets. Um, after Ezekiel, the, or after, excuse me, after Daniel, there's Hosea that begins what we call the minor prophets. They're not minor in the sense that they're not significant or not, not important. They're minor just because they're generally shorter books. Now, Daniel is only 12 chapters, and Hosea is 14, but nevertheless, Daniel is, and we'll get to it, we'll see why he's considered a major prophet. Anyway, don't want to get ahead of ourselves. That's just trying to put everything in context. So he's the first of what we call the major prophets, and just to give some thanks, I'm trying to do this each week, but uh, you'll see these names pop up several times in our studies on our, on our Route 66. Um, there are a couple of others too, but the three for this week particularly, um, Harold Wilmington wrote Wilmington's Guide to the Bible many years ago, back in the s late 70s, and it's been reprinted many times, and um, it's a um, really good source, really good study. Sometime this summer, or maybe when we start the New Testament, I'm going to bring several sources here and, and put them on the table if you want to look at them, maybe uh, just to see, get an idea of some of them, and, and um, um, if you're interested, maybe you need for yourself. Uh, another is an Old Testament survey by a pastor named James Knox. He's in Florida, uh, in DeLand, Florida, at um, Bible Baptist Church of DeLand, Florida, and he has an Old and New Testament survey that's really good. And then there's a book that I came across. You know, the Internet has some bad things, but the Internet has some very good things. And one of the very good things I've come across are some really good sources over the last uh, number of years. And one of them is a pastor named Mark Trotter, who uh, unfortunately he went to be with the Lord last year, a young age at 64. But he's written a few books, a couple of them that I have. And one of them is called 52 Weeks of Pursuit. And he takes all 52 books of the Bible and goes, goes uh, weekly uh, through a book. Sometimes it'll take uh, a week or more, like especially Psalms, to get through the book. But he usually goes about five or ten chapters, I mean, about five or six chapters a week, depending on the book. But anyway, that's a very good source, too. Anyway, enough advertising. Let's move on. So, roughly, Isaiah, roughly, the time is about 814 BC to about 769. And again, different commentators and those with, um, uh, that, that kind of date these things, they kind of don't always agree on the exact date, but that's a general idea. 
And so just to give you an idea on what we've studied so far, remember 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings are, are, are parallel books then that, that record the divided kingdom after Solomon dies, and, and then Rehoboam and Jeroboam divide the uh, northern southern kingdoms, and after that it's all divided. Well, Second uh, Kings and Second Chronicles does that. So I used Second Kings rather than Second Chronicles in this in what we're looking at tonight, just to give you an idea to connect things. So Elisha, remember we studied him that he was the successor to Elijah. Elisha's ministry ends; he died about second in Second Kings thirteen. And so Isaiah's ministry begins about chapter 15. So however many years there were between there, I should have took time to look it up, and I didn't. I was too busy getting other things. But anyway, it's just a two-chapter difference until Isaiah comes on the scene. Now, Isaiah is a prophet to the southern kingdom, to Judah, which is Judah and Benjamin. But you'll see places in there that refer to the, the northern kingdom as well. But for the most part, he's a prophet to those. It was written to the southern kingdom, uh, tribes of Benjamin and Judah, and the time period goes from 2 Kings 15 to 2 Kings 21 on our mileage and efficiency tonight. And then uh, he was a prophet during the reign of these kings. Uh, in fact, go with me over to uh, Isaiah. Let's go ahead and go there to chapter 1. And it lists uh, all but one of them here. But yeah, he's also during a reign of a little bit during the reign of another king. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah. So Judah's the southern kingdom, right? It's Judah and Benjamin. Jerusalem is the capital, all right? Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So his ministry spread out during those reigns. And so when we studied 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, we looked at these kings, especially 2 Chronicles, because we talked about the kings of the good kings of Judah, and one or a couple of these were good kings. So um, Uzziah, also his name's called Azariah, um, as that happens a lot of times. Second uh, Kings fifteen, that should be one to thirty one. I never did put that there. Um, is where he is. Uh, his name is mentioned there. If you go over to chapter six and verse one of Isaiah, he says this. This is a very well known chapter in the book of Isaiah. And this is read and preached a lot at missionary conferences and about evangelism and so forth like that. Uh, but it says in verse uh, 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his reign, or excuse me, his train filled the temple. And then you read down through there, it's the, one where, it's the place where God says, Go tell these people, they're going to hear, uh, but not understand. He said, they're going to hear, they're, they're, they're going to hear what you say, but they're not going to heed what you say, Isaiah. You're going to talk to them. You're going to tell them, give them my message, and yet their ears are going to be heavy. They're not going to listen to what you have to say. That's kind of discouraging, isn't it? But, you know, God told him, look, you're responsible to give them the message. They're responsible to hear. So just like a pastor and evangelist, we're responsible to give the message. The Holy Spirit will work it in your heart and mind, and he will apply it in your life. And so hopefully we're not in the category that, that Israel is going to be for Isaiah. But you read through there, you, you see where God sends him. And uh, that's anyway, that's where Uzziah had died. Jotham is a king in 2 Kings 15, verse 32 to 38. And he was also a good king. Ahaz was very bad. In fact, uh, some believe he was at least, the, he was probably the second worst king in all of Judah. He was a horrible one. He's found in chapter 16. 
And then Hezekiah, we'll look at him a little bit more again, or, or refer to him a little bit more tonight. We won't look at his life so much. But 2 Kings 18 to 20 is where Hezekiah is found. And he was a good king also. And then there's Manasseh, even though he's not mentioned in verse 1 here. Uh, Manasseh is a king, probably began to reign about the time that Isaiah uh, was in captivity. But anyway, um, he was a bad king. Then he became a good king when we studied in Second Chronicles. So he reigns under those kings, all right? When it comes to his prophecies under our mileage and efficiency for Isaiah, some were fulfilled during his lifetime. Some of the things he preached came to pass during the, his life and his ministry under one king or another. Uh, many of them did. Some weren't fulfilled till after his death. Some, in fact, immediately not long after his death. As we'll see in a moment, there are some that were many years, decades, centuries after his death. Some are still to be fulfilled in the tribulation and in the millennial reign of Christ. And we'll look at some references about that tonight. So similar to the book of Psalms, Isaiah has a number of references to the millennial reign of Christ, except for it's probably more detailed than the ones we looked at in Psalms. I know it is, actually. Uh, he'll have uh, reference to prophecy yet to come. Uh, and so uh, the tribulation is, is described several places in Isaiah, the millennial reign of Christ, and even past that, after the millennium, the new heaven and the new earth. We'll get to that tonight. So some are yet to be fulfilled. So here's a very simple way to look at this, and we're going to come back to this in just a moment. This is really something interesting in the book of Isaiah. Very neat. Chapters 1 to 39 are written before their captivity in Babylon. Um, he preaches and, and you know, prophesies and preaches to the people of Judah and warns them because you know, uh, they had gone into idolatry so much, and we saw where Ahaz was the one really bad king. And he had to preach to the people, look, you've gone into idolatry and, you know, uh, God's going to bring judgment. You're going you're to be taken to another nation. So they were written before captivity. And this is really interesting because we're going to see it in another way in a minute, this, this, chapter, this division of the book. Uh, chapters 40 to 66 were written during the captivity. And so when you read and see in these two sections, you read a little in, uh, read in those the first section, 1 to 39, then you read into 40 to 66, his style of writing changes. It looks like it's, it's changed some, but that's because the, the need and the audience is different. Here in chapters 1 to 39, he's telling them, you better get right with God or you're going to fall into captivity. Chapters 40 to 66, or well, you're here. You're in captivity. Now you need to get your heart right with God. See, God said he did what he said he was going to do. In chapters 1 to 39, you see God's relationship with Israel. And again, remember, he, he preached, he prophesied under some good kings, but one bad one. But also their relationship with other nations. And there are times where Isaiah will preach and say something about Assyria and other nations around them. And he'll, he'll warn about those nations and their idolatry and, and, and their uh, worship of false gods. So here's another little way to look at this. Chapters 1 so remember 1 to 39, then 40 to 66. 1 to 35 really are prophecies that warn Israel. They're either to Israel or to Israel about other countries. Chapter 36 to 39 is about, remember I mentioned King Hezekiah? Hezekiah I uh, brush my teeth, can't do a thing with my tongue. King Hezekiah. So he's found actually 2 Kings 18 to 20 is paralleled in Isaiah 36 to 39. It's Most all that is the same uh, thing that's written there about King Hezekiah. So 
in chapters 1 to 39, it's almost like right before the end of that section, there's this parenthesis about the life of Hezekiah. And I remember he was a godly king. He, when he died, he'd, you know, he'd gotten away from the Lord some, but he was a godly king, a good king. And then in 40 to 66, there are prophecies that will comfort Israel because in their captivity, which is that same section, 40 to 66, um, he gives messages of comfort to them. And we'll see a little bit about that tonight. Here's a very neat thing about the book of Isaiah. Someone, uh, several writers have described it as a microcosm of the Bible. A microcosm is taking something, uh, something small that represents something bigger. Here's an example. Uh, it's said that New York City is a microcosm of the whole world. Why? Because just about every nationality on planet Earth can be found in New York City. So when you look at the book of Isaiah, you see the whole Bible fit into uh, 66 chapters. This is really neat. So when we look at this, there are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. There are 66 books in the Bible. Uh, A couple of things to notice. Again, as I said, 1 to 39 is written different than 40 to 66. This is a couple of things we want to see. 1 to 39 corresponds to the 39 books of the Old Testament very well. From chapter 1 to chapter 39, it's very similar to Genesis to Malachi. Now, it's not, it's not like chapter by chapter that, that it sums up everything. But here's something interesting. I don't even have this on the board. Look with me. Go back to chapter 1 of Isaiah. The very first things he mentions after he, his name and the kings uh, under whom he, ser- he serves and prophesies. Look at verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. The very first thing right there, you see a reference to Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, right? So there we see a reference even to Genesis right off at the beginning. Here's something else interesting. Uh, Look at, with me at chapter 40. Go with me to chapter 40. And when you read, again, right as you end 39, it ends about the life of uh, Hezekiah. And now it picks up a completely different theme. Look at chapter 40, verse 1 to 3. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. If you've ever listened, heard Hamel's Messiah, this is right there at the beginning. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her, her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now this is yet to be fulfilled. At that point when Isaiah speaks this, it has not yet been fulfilled, but it will be at the end of the tribulation. Look at verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Who is that voice in the wilderness? Go with me to Matthew. Yep, Matthew 3. John the Baptist. This is just... So the very first book of the New Testament is that it's where it divides in Isaiah, with chapter 40. This is good stuff. Matthew 3, verse 1. Now, when Jesus, no, I better get chapter 3 instead of 2, or it'll be a long read. Chapter 3, verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 3. For this is he that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And that's Isaiah because Isaiah is Greek going into English when it translates. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So when that second part of Isaiah begins in chapter 40, it's a prophecy 
about John the Baptist, who will be the forerunner of Jesus. Isn't that a great thing? That's just beautiful. Another place, let me see, did I put this on the next slide? No, we're going to come back to that. Go with me one more. Go back to um, chapter 66 of Isaiah. Last chapter. So if it's the last chapter and there's 66, and there's 66 books, what would be a similarity in this chapter? Revelation, right? Look with me at, um, uh, let's see. Trying to find a good verse to pick up. I didn't write it down on, on my notes here, the, the, my extra notes that I made. Look at verse, um, uh, okay, I can't, pick up verse 1 right now. Let's look at verse two, 1 and 2. Chapter 66, I'm sorry, of Isaiah. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where is the house you'll build me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things have, made, have my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even though there's a poor and contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Um, let's see, I was trying to find another verse that would come out and, and give us a little more on this. Um, but it describes, okay, verse 22. Go to verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. New heavens and new earth. Revelation 21 tells us this. John says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth were passed away and there was no more seed. John, Revelation 21 verse 1. You can write that if you're making notes with Isaiah 66, 22. And Revelation 21, 1. I meant to put it on the slide and I didn't do it. Anyway, so you see a microcosm. There's several others in there, but for right now, these are some of the main ones that are just like a microcosm of the Bible, the way that that's divided. 1 to 39, 39 books in the Old Testament, 40 to 66, 27 books in the New Testament. Just really neat thing. All right, let's move on because even though that's something about Isaiah, let's see a little bit more that's in the book itself to help us. Here's some key things found in the book of Isaiah on our GPS. I'll start on uh, at chapter 14. We'll make our way to the right, try to keep them in order here. Maybe it's easier to find them instead of flipping back and forth. Isaiah 14. Um, and we'll see some other places too, but I just wanted to pull these out for right now. 14, if you pick up at verse 9, um, down through verse 17, is where you'll see uh, Lucifer and his fall. Well, actually, in the reading, I'll pick up at verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, and he has five I wills right here. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation of the sides of the north. I will ascend above the height of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So it records in chapter 14 the fall of Lucifer. Uh, whenever that was, we know it was before Genesis 3 because he appears in the garden as a serpent. And as I said uh, recently, I personally, I believe that it's between Genesis 1 verse 1 and 1 verse 2. But hey, not everybody agrees and I don't expect them to because that's one of those things that you can agree to disagree on. Um, there is a, um, it's, it's what's called a gap there between those two verses. It begins when God created the heaven and earth and it says the earth was without form and void uh, in verse 2. And um, many believe that's where 
Satan, Lucifer fell. I believe that. You'll find, you'll find men and women that read and study the Bible that will disagree. And it's not anything to lose fellowship on. It's not anything to, to argue on. But uh, I think it's a very interesting way to, to um, um, explain when Lucifer fell. Chapter 26, verse 20 and 21. As we said, there's a lot in here about prophecy to come. Uh, later on down the road, which is like the tribulation and so forth, look at chapter 26, verse 20. Come, my people, enter, into, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. That's a reference to the tribulation for uh, the believing remnant, which will include Jews, but I believe there will be some Gentiles probably, but it will include Jews that are saved during the tribulation where they hide from the Antichrist. And there are other places in the New Testament about that, of course. Look at verse 21. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place. So there's a second advent, second coming after the tribulation. Uh, cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. So you see, this is just one of several, but there are several places about the tribulation. Look at 2810. Here's a key to understanding the Bible. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. That's how you study and learn the Bible. You're not going to get it in one big gulp. It takes time. As you read and you see something here and you make notes here and you come back to it later and then you're going through something else in your life. The Lord opens something to you. See, the Bible doesn't change, but there's a lot of things that are new to us. Why is it new? Because we've never seen it before. We've never noticed it. And there are times as we go through life and we're growing in grace and maybe a problem we're going through and God gives us some light and some direction or maybe there's a uh, doctrinal or theological issue we're trying to study out and, and, and find out what God has to say about it. And it'll show us a little here and a little there. You're not going to get it all in one big gulp. It's a lifetime. And the more you learn, the more you put together, just beautiful. That's a great verse about studying uh, the Bible, understanding the Bible. Uh, we won't read this whole section, of course, but chapters 41 to 45. And again, that's in the newer, the new section from 40 on, remember? But in these chapters, you see several references to our Creator and His creation. And you all see, also will see, as we'll see in just a little bit, reference to uh, the Savior there in those, in those chapters a, a couple of times. We'll look at one of those. But there's a great deal in those chapters, 41 to 45, about our Creator and His creation. And several times throughout those chapters, you'll see something about how the Lord created and the Lord did this and Lord, the Lord created uh, uh, the earth and so forth. But look at chapter 42, verse 8. Because of that, which is right in this section, I am the Lord... That is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither praise to graven images. Now, again, remember, this is a section where they've gone into captivity. So Isaiah is telling God's people, look, you're in captivity for your idolatry, but remember, the Lord will not share his glory with anyone else. And while you're here in Babylon, you're here in this land, you're here where idolatry is an everyday thing, remember, your God loves you, and, and he will not share his glory with anyone else. He will not uh, in any way allow his praise to go to a graven image. So while they're there in captivity, this is a verse for them to understand. So he will not share his glory. God is a, a God. Uh, God is God alone and no other, and so he will not share that. Now, um, chapter 43 in that section are a couple of references about the Savior. Chapter 43, verse 11. I, even I, am the Lord. 
and beside me there is no Savior. Verse uh, 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. Of course, we know when we're saved, God you know, forgives our sins, they're blotted out. And there's another place that tells us uh, in, in the book of uh, Psalms, as far as the east is from the west, he removes our transgressions. He's forgotten them. And uh, the only, one, only two people that will bring them up, or three really, is us or an enemy or our main enemy, the devil. Other than that, God's not going to bring them back up to us. So when we start thinking and our old sins come to our mind, if it's something that's been you know, covered under the blood, God's not the one doing the reminding. That's either the enemy or we're, we're bringing that up to our own mind. And so he says, I will not remember them anymore. Um, Corey Ten Boom, she was, during World War II, she rescued a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, people that were in encampment uh, in the, uh, in, in the inter- internment, internment camps there in, uh, in Germany, rescued a lot of them. And uh, got them out of camps and so forth. She was a believer. Um, but one of the things she, she said to people about God's forgiveness, she said, in God's big sea of forgiveness, uh, he throws all our sins in that big sea of forgiveness and he puts a sign saying, no fishing allowed. I like that. That's a great way to put that, isn't it? That's great. I like that. Chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. God's ways are higher than ours. And there's sometimes we go through things in life and we don't understand them. These are good verses to come back to. 55, verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Um, Just another side note on this section from 40 to 66, there are a lot of good personal uh, promises that we see there. One of them is in uh, verse 10 and 11 where he talks about his his, his word comes down as a rain, and it will accomplish what he sent it to do, verse 11, those very next couple of verses. So there's some, some more about um, in, in these chapters uh, in the book of Isaiah, the things that he talks about, the things he prophesies to Israel. Uh, let's see. We actually have already looked at that last one, but let's look at chapter 65. And for those that listen to the podcast, the last one is chapter 66, verse 17 to 19. We, we looked at that, I think, or maybe we didn't. No, we looked at 22. We'll come to that one then. 65, verse 20 to 25. And this describes the millennial reign of Christ. There shall no more thence be an infant of days, nor an old man, that he hath uh, not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For the days of a tree are the days of my people. Mine elect shall enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain nor bring forth for trouble. For they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. And he ends it with verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the bullet. The dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. So these verses are about the millennial reign of Christ. When he comes back to set up his kingdom, that's going to be some of the physical blessings of the, uh, of the, um, uh, during the millennial reign of Christ, of his presence on earth. And of course, where he says in verse 24, before they even call, I will answer, because he'll be present here on earth. Then 65, verse 17 to 19, is about the, the new heaven and new earth. Behold, excuse me, 60, yeah, 65, verse 17 to 19. I don't know why I was getting that mixed up with 66 for some reason. Verse 17 of 65. For behold, I create a new heavens. 
or new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. So that's the new heaven and new earth that will be after the millennial reign of Christ. Um, you'll notice, though, they're not in order. But that happens a lot of times in uh, Old Testament uh, prophecy, especially with Isaiah, he'll say something about one thing and then another subject after that, and one will be, as far as time goes, will be before the other. Uh, and so sometimes you'll see them out of order, but nevertheless, they're, they're right there found in that section. So there's some prophecy uh, there for future events that will happen. All right, let's move a little further then in our study. Let's look at some prophecies of Jesus. Now, remember we said that some prophecies of Isaiah were fulfilled during his life, some after, like very immediate or many centuries or even centuries after. And that's what we're about to see here uh, about Jesus, about his birth. Chapter 7, verse 14. Um, if you'll go back that way, this is probably read or, or preached, uh, at least read or seen in, in, in greeting cards at Christmas time. Um, and he says this in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And um, you see also, if you uh, read over in chapter 8 and verse 8, you'll see that name Emmanuel again. When we get to the New Testament, we see where uh, this, this verse is quoted. And in the book of Matthew, when the angel uh, tells, when Gabriel tells um, Mary... Uh, they'll call his name Emmanuel, uh, it says, which means God with us. And so um, it's, it's uh, found in the New Testament, and that's, that verse is quoted, um, Emmanuel is God with us. And so about his incarnation and his birth, the word incarnation simply means that he takes, uh, you know, uh, has a human body because he's, he's uh, conceived of the Holy Ghost in Mary, and then, of course, he's um, uh, born and then, you know, his, his uh, sinless life. Chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, so forth and so on. So you, this is another one uh, that we see at Christmas time that, talk about, that talks about Jesus' birth, his incarnation and his birth. Then uh, let's look at a couple of verses that describe his childhood, what it will be like. Back to chapter 7. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Um, and then, um, uh, well, when you read that there, you just see that, you know, he'll, he'll be like everyone else when he grows up, he'll be in a lot of ways, he'll, he'll be raised as other kids are raised, you know, he'll live in a family. And of course, later on, Joseph and Mary had other kids. So he grew up, in, you know, with, uh, other children, with, with his siblings, chapter 53 and verse number two, also a, a prophecy about Jesus. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness that when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's not going to, he wouldn't look any different than the other kid in his day. He probably, like most Jewish kids, had um, uh, the, the olive tone skin. Uh, probably, you know, the, the kids in that day um, I mean, of, of, of Israel probably had the kind of olive tone skin. Brown eyes probably had uh, very dark hair, maybe black hair. Uh, maybe very curly, I don't know, but um, had uh, probably, you know, looked just like any other kid. 
And then when he grew up even, they said, you know, is this Joseph's son? They, you know, he didn't look like anyone that would be different. So um, as he grew up, he grew up, except for the fact he'd never sinned, he grew up like other kids. All right, chapter 42, verse 1, a little bit about his relationship with the Father. And of course, once he's, you know, uh, his ministry begins on earth, he prays to the Father, he talks to the Father, and twice God says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Chapter 42, verse 1, Behold my servant, up, uh, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And here he's called God's elect. There are uh, about three or four places where that word elect is used in the Bible. But as with any time that it's used, you have to look at the context. Uh, sometimes elect means Israel. Uh, but here it's talking about Jesus. Now in the New Testament, the Christian, we're called his elect when we're saved. But at any rate, he's called his servant, his elect, and talks about his relationship with the Heavenly Father. Uh, a few things there. What was that? Yeah, bring forth judgment. That will be when he comes back. So you see where his life and his ministry, right. In fact, that's a good point. We'll look at that again at a couple of other things. We'll see um, where in one verse it can, it can cover a number of decades or even his second coming. Chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Uh, we just saw where it talked about bring judgment to the Gentiles. Uh, here we see his ministry to the Gentiles. Now he first came, he came first to his own, right? And his own received him not. But he did, uh, he did minister some to Gentiles while he was on earth, of course. And then he will again in the future. Chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he highly afflicted the land of Zebulun or the land of Naphtali, that's Israel, and afterward did more gr uh, grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shine. And so um, that refers also, of course, to, uh, to Israel that walked uh, in darkness, but it refers to the Gentiles as well, because it says there in verse 1, Galilee of the nations. The nations would be the Gentiles. Chapter 35, in verse 5 and 6, we see his miracles. Um, some of his miracles mentioned here. Isaiah 35. Verse 5 and verse 6. The eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. He did that a number of times. Remember, he healed more than one blind person, and he healed uh, deaf during his ministry. Verse 6. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. So in the future, in the millennial reign, he will again heal. There will be healing, and that, that will be full, that's where that verse 6 is fulfilled, that the uh, waters will break out in streams in the desert. So these verses, as often happens in prophecy, they apply more than once. And it did during his ministry, and it will again do that during the millennial reign of Christ. Now let's look a little bit about his suffering and death. It, Isaiah talks about that as well as his resurrection and following. But chapter 53... Almost this whole chapter, well, let's go to 50 first, and then we'll make our way to 53. Um, yeah, let's go there first. Several places in Isaiah, you see them fulfilled right there at the cross or as he's on his way to the cross. In fact, 
sometimes one of the writers, the gospel writers will say, you know, will quote it and it'll be from right from Isaiah. 50 verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters. Remember, they whipped him with, with that whip. For my che- uh, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair, uh, plucked off his beard. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Remember, they spit on him there uh, when they were reviling him before he's crucified and when he was crucified. 52 verse 14. Uh huh. Chapter fifty-two, verse fourteen. That's the next one. And as many were were astonished at thee, his visage was so, uh, so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. And so, from what we know here, and then what happened on the cross, and described in the four gospels, you know, he was beaten so bad, he went through so much suffering, and it, it was more marred. That you couldn't even tell his facial features for all the blood and all the beating. So that's what he did on the cross for us. 53, just about this whole chapter, but I've just picked out a few verses about it. Chapter 53, remember the, the, old, the, or excuse me, the um, Orthodox Jews have the Old Testament, okay? And they have everything that we have in our Old Testament. It's not in the same order, but they do have it. And this chapter 53, we can read this and we know who it's talking about. We know it's talking about Jesus um, when you read here. The, an Orthodox Jew believes this is talking about Israel as a nation and not about Jesus. Because, see, they rejected him as a Messiah. And so they think it's talking about them and the suffering they've gone through as a nation. But this is very, I mean, this is very literal. Everything that we're going to read uh, happened to Jesus. Uh, we'll we'll skip, skip down through this, verse 4 of chapter 53. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sor- sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Uh, for he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Uh, over in the New Testament, in uh, Acts chapter 8, there's a time where uh, there's a, a, an evangelist named Philip. And God tells him, the Holy Spirit tells him, Philip, I want you to go down to a place called Gaza where there's desert. And so he does, he goes there, and he meets a man that's uh, a very important man that's under uh, a lady uh, uh, empress, I guess, named Candace of, of Ethiopia. He has a very important position in her cabinet, so to speak. And so he, um, he's sitting there reading a scroll of Isaiah, and he's reading this chapter. And Philip uh, comes up to him and says, you know, you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I except some man show me? And he starts reading from these verses. And then Philip says, who do you think he's talking about? And then he knew that he was talking about Jesus, and they, they, just, they talked about it, and then he, he leads him to Christ. But at any rate, um, we read down through there, you see um, where he's oppressed, verse 7, afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, he's brought as a lamb to the slaughter. So all those verses describe what happened, and they're fulfilled. Uh, look with me at chapter, hold that chapter and back up to 52. So let's look at his resurrection. Th- those are on his suffering on the cross. 52 verse 13, behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. So that's about his resurrection after he rose from the dead. And then, of course, his ascension into heaven uh, in chapter 52 verse 13. We go back to 53 verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, and he did on the cross, 
He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And that's what he did on the cross. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. With the transgressors. He did that on the cross. And bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. He did that on the cross when he said, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. But also in heaven... Seated in heaven, he's making intercession for you and me. The book of Hebrews tells us he's at the right hand of the Father. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that great? Here in Isaiah, it gives a prophecy that these things would happen, uh, and they did happen. Second Advent, we need to move quick. Uh, second Advent, uh, where he comes back, in chapter 11 and chapter 13, we see some references. We've already read some on the millennium, so um, if you want to write those down, and I'll, I'll give these to, on, the, on the audio if anybody wants to write these down on what we're, we're looking at tonight or what we're look, uh, copying to look at later. Chapter 11 and verse 4 of Isaiah and that be there means the second part of that verse is why it's got to be there. 11, 4. Uh, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and approve of the equity of the meek of the earth and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. That's the second advent. In Revelation 19 he comes back on a white horse and he destroys the Antichrist and his forces. And so that's a reference there to the second advent or the second coming. And then chapter 13 for time's sake we won't go there because we have some other things we have to look at. Chapter 13 verse 6 to 23 is also a reference to the second advent and you see the description there where um, the, the stars uh, where they're described and all things that happened during the tribulation that's found in Revelation 6 and Matthew 24 that talks about the destruction that will happen on earth during the second, uh, during the, at the end of the tribulation and the second coming of Christ. Then uh, the millennial reign of Christ, there's several places um, where we'll, we can see. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 5 is a place. But if you're still at chapter 11, we'll pick back up there. Um, that's where we saw verse 4 uh, for the second coming. Chapter 11, verse 5 through verse 9 is a reference concerning the millennium. And right, verse 5, And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, the young ones shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And this day the lion eats the ox, but then it will eat straw like the ox. Uh, verse 8, and the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp. That's a type of serpent, of course. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the crocodile's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So during the millennial reign of Christ, these things will come to pass. And then in chapter 55, verse 12 to 13, and in chapter 60, verse 1 to 7, these describe the millennium. There's a lot about millennium in the Old Testament. A lot more about it than is actually in the New Testament, but it's described a great deal in the Old Testament. So uh, in our study in Psalms, we saw some references, uh, phrases that, were th that referred to the second coming or something in prophecy. Same thing happens here in Isaiah. In that day is found 45 times and it refers to beginning of the Great Tribulation, all the way through to the end of it at some point, whether it's the 
tribulation beginning or the things that happened on planet earth and the destruction or at the end of it when the Lord comes back. In that day is a key phrase that's found 45 times in the book of Isaiah. Now, this is interesting. I want to spend a couple minutes and we're going to go over a little bit of it. Let's look at a couple of things in here. This is really neat. Go to chapter 9 if you're still right there at 11. Look with me at verse number 6. For unto us a child is born. Christmas, birth of Christ. Look at the next phrase that's separated by a comma. Unto us a son is given. He was given because he was, he was placed on the, taken to the cross for our sins. So in the same verse, you have the birth of Christ, you have his death on the cross, and then that's that verse, or the two verses together, actually, verse 6 and 7 here. And then in 6 and going into 7, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. So his birth, he's going to go to the cross, and then one day he'll come back and set up his millennial kingdom because the government's not on his shoulder right now, is it? No, it's not. Because you can look around this planet and you can tell it's not on his shoulder. It would be run different. There is a millennial reign of Christ. And one verse, and then it continues on in verse 7, talks about the increase of his government. But in one verse, it's got those three aspects of his life and ministry. And so those little commas, are, there's a gap between you know, each of those for however many years. So he's born, he's given 33 years, 30, roughly 33 years. And then from then until the millennial reign of Christ, 2,000 years. And that's, or, yeah, 2,000 years. Isn't that something? Just amazing all right there together. Another one. I like this. This, this one's good too. Go to chapter 61. There's so much in this book. Oh my goodness, there's so much in here. Chapter 61, and then you'll have to go to Luke 4. I didn't write the reference, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it out to you. I think I got in a hurry. Could have been. Could have been as I do sometimes. Okay, so if you go to Isaiah 61, it'll be verses 1 to 3. And then if you'll go to Luke, it's chapter 4 and verse uh, 16 to 20. And I'll, get, I'll give that to you again when we get to it. But let's look at Isaiah 61. <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, joy, or, excuse me, oil for the joy, uh, of joy for mourning, that's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, the garment of praise for spirit of heaviness, that they shall be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. So here, this even just reading it Isaiah, you know it's talking about Jesus. But when you get to chapter 4 of Luke, it's, he makes it very plain. Luke 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. If you're watching, uh, if you've watched any of the, what's it called, The Chosen? If you're in the third, if you, if you go in the third season, um, he, he's, or is it in the second? Anyway, somewhere in there, he, it shows this actual place in, the, in that show. Um, custom was he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, that's Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Okay, here comes Isaiah 61. Watch close. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to build, heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, 
to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. We call 2023 the year of our Lord 2023, or until they tried to change things. That's what you call it. Look at this. And he closed the book and gave it again unto the minister and sat down. The eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened. He said, this day, verse 21, is this scripture fulfilled here? What was fulfilled? Go back to 61 of Isaiah. Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, verse 2, the day of the vengeance. Look where he stopped. The day of vengeance of our God. He stopped there. Why? He wasn't there to do that. He was there to do all the other. But with that comma in verse 2, there's a 2,000 years of gap, see? And then he'll come back, and he'll come back in the day of the vengeance of God. And then he'll comfort those that mourn, because those that believe on him during the tribulation, they will be comforted. And those that died and were martyred for their faith in heaven, they'll be comforted. But he will come back and bring vengeance. Isn't that something? Right there in Luke 4, he stops right there. Because that's all he came to do at that time. But when you read the rest of Isaiah 61, now I'm just, I don't know. It's one of those things I hope the Lord will show us in glory. But when he actually read that, I wonder why some of those sat around and wondered, why didn't he stop? Why didn't he keep on? Because we want to get away from Rome. Rome's controlling us. We want to get away from Rome. We want the Messiah to destroy Rome. So, And then um, they, some of them believed on him, but many of them, they cast him out of the synagogue. They didn't want him in there. Isn't that something? That's just amazing, isn't it? There's so much in this book. Oh, I love this. It's quoted in the New Testament over 130 times. A lot of times in the Gospels, it's quoted in uh, Paul quotes it, Hebrews, other places. So let's look at some mileage and efficiency. Uh, 118, this is the Gospel in Isaiah. He says, come let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, uh, or, or be as crimson, they shall be as white as snow. If they be scarlet, they'll be like wool, or excuse me, scarlet. Yeah, like when it's crimson, they'll be white as snow. So uh, he says, let's reason together. Let's look at this. You're a sinner, and your sins can be made white as snow. Uh, Isaiah 59, verse 2, but your iniquities have separated you between you and your God. Sin separates us from a holy God. And so right there, there's the gospel in Isaiah. Isn't that great? 59 verse 1, the verse before that, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy that he cannot hear. He'll save anybody. And, uh, of course, his immediate audience was Israel, but, man, that's the gospel to anybody. Isn't that great? Isaiah 45 verse 22, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, it says, um, for he is the Savior. Great, great. Just four verses. There are more. Just four verses right there on the gospel in Isaiah. So lessons learned, warnings to the southern kingdom, Judah, they fell on deaf ears, but then they're comforted in chapters 40 to 66 also. Jesus is called in chapter 44, excuse me, verse 2, the branch of the Lord. Uh, these two, we, or actually we've seen these, he's called Emmanuel in Isaiah 7, 14. Uh, Unto us a child is born, a son is given, Isaiah 9, 6. And then in 49, 26, he's called the Savior and the Redeemer. Uh, 2816, he's called a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And that, that precious cornerstone is found also in Psalm uh, 118, I believe it is. And it's quoted um, several times in the New Testament about Jesus being the cornerstone. And of course, um, when it talks about the church, when Paul talks about the church, it says Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, the apostles and prophets are the part of the foundation. And then in 4028, he's called the Lord, the Creator. So Isaiah, several, and there are others too, but several things that are places that refer to Jesus and who he is. 
Here's some verses. Did I do more than one of these? Nope. Here's some verses that are great verses that we really hadn't had a chance to look at tonight. Um, Isaiah 26, 3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Beautiful verse about having peace, um, thinking about meditating on the Lord and on his word, uh, whose mind is stayed on thee. Isaiah 30, 21, when you're seeking God's will in your life, this is the way, walk ye in it, turn not to the right hand or the left. Um, Isaiah 30, verse 21. Love this verse. In fact, there's a, I think we have a song in our hymn book. I believe it's in our hymn book from this verse. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. 41, verse 10, fear not, uh, fear thou not, I am with thee. Um, when thou goest through the waters, I'll be with thee, and the, the flame shall not. Isaiah 41, verse 10, he says he's with us, and he will not. No, I'm sorry, I'm getting that mixed up with uh, 43, 2 and 3. Fear not, when thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee. But he says, I'm with thee, chapter 41, 10, and then 43, 2 and 3, when thou passest through the waters and through the fire, I'll be with thee. The, the, the waters, the flood, and the fire, neither of them will damage you. I'll, I'll be with you, and I'll keep you. Wonderful promises uh, to, to, in Isaiah for a home address. I think this went longer than uh, Psalms. There's so much stuff in, in Isaiah, just a lot in there. Let's stop there for tonight. Any questions or input? I'm sure several things that we could have looked at. But um, remember, most of the prophecies are for Israel directly. Sometimes they're to Israel about other nations that, that uh, are around them. And so... Um, he served under those kings um, in verse two, chapter one, verse two. So he had a pretty long life in ministry. I think I think I saw where they said it was fifty to sixty years. I believe was the time of his ministry. Pretty long ministry. So he probably started as a young man. In fact, he outlived one wife and got married again and had another child. Chapter eight. So um, he he um, he outlived one wife and married married another. So. All right, we'll stop there for the night. Held you over just a little bit. Lord willing, next week, I should have put and, we'll be in Jeremiah and the next book, the book of Lamentations, which was written by Jer Jeremiah. Um, he writes that as, um, when he writes, it's around the time of Isaiah, but Israel's, act, or excuse me, Judah's actually going into captivity to Babylon at the time, and the city's being destroyed. And the things he writes in Lamentations are so sad. It's very graphic about all the destruction um, really bad things that happened to them in the uh, book of Lamentations. And that city's destroyed. Now, we've already studied it, but remember, many years later, that's when God calls Nehemiah to come and to rebuild the city. So that's just kind of help keep things in perspective. All right, let's stand and close in prayer uh, and dismiss tonight. This is a, I love this study. It's been interesting tonight. I've enjoyed studying it. Thank you, Lord, for your word and all that we've seen so far. Lord, there's so much more in Isaiah as well as the rest of your word. And I thank you, Lord, for the, the, the things you wrote in there about your son. And, and even we see all these verses about the gospel in uh, Isaiah uh, found there, Lord, that you, you invite all of humanity to reason together with you that our sins that are scarlet can be white as snow uh, and crimson can be like wool. And we thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice through your son, the Lord Jesus. And in every book, we've, we've looked and found something about our Savior sometimes many places about our Savior, even here in the Old Testament. And we thank you for it, Lord. We pray that you'll watch over us as we leave here tonight and keep us safe. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.